Artistic Whispers Productions presents... Down from 10, a country house mystery written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net. Featuring the vocal talents of... Philippa Ballantyne. T. Morris. Kitty Nikian. Nathan Lowell. Miss Calendar. Nobilis Reed. Christiana Ellis. Chris Lester. With original music by Danny Shade. This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, this is J.R. Murdoch from the podcast novel VNA Shipping, available at patiobooks.com and ofgnomesanddwarves.com. You're listening to episode 17, and this is the story so far. Artists are dangerous people. Give one, like Katie, a good knowledge of anatomy and some basic supplies, and she can convince her friends that one of their number has been savagely murdered under their very noses, all in the name of education. With Sarah retreated upstairs from shock, and Gerd up comforting her, the rest of the artists are left to their own devices. Chapter 16 E-5 Continued The silence following Gerd's exit was palpable. Katie didn't want to break it. She wasn't sure how much of a doghouse she'd stumbled into, and she didn't want to blunder in the rest of the way. Nobody else seemed to be prepared to run with much of anything at all, and eventually the room's collective attention settled on the one woman Katie was hoping not to hear from. Nothing Carol could come up with would half-beat the drubbing she was already giving herself. Carol, on the other hand, seemed to have decided that the portion in her tumbler was unnecessarily stingy and, evidently oblivious to the continuing tension in the room, tromped to the drinks table and poured herself another finger. When she turned around and saw the crowd of dour faces arrayed around her, she swung her free arm out to them in a large circle. Go, 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 carry on! We're burning snowlight here. She took a sip of her scotch and raised her eyebrow at Katie. Show us what to do with your magical bandages. As quickly as she'd gotten herself in the doghouse, she was evidently out again. Katie mentally took back her upset at Carol's mercuriality and decided that, on second thought, it had its upsides, easy though they were to forget. Katie turned to Adele and gave her the wickedest smile she could manage. Well, Adele, you're on. Huh? Adele blinked. Strip off. I'm fixing to grease you up like a turkey. Katie leaned over to grab the petroleum jelly and popped the top off to emphasize her point. It was all the older woman needed to blush candy apple red from her clavicle to her ear tips. Oh, I I, I really don't... Now, now, dear. On third thought, Carol's mercuriality mixed with her condescension was one of the best things in the world. You knew what you were signing up for. Kevin flopped heavily on the couch, this time reaching the cushions without Gerd-shaped impedances. It's not like I haven't seen us running around. And it's not like Kevin didn't see you that morning. Oh... Amos looked askance at Adele, whose blush kept right on unabated. Nothing. You know. Carol strolled to Amos's couch corner, making a production out of thinking meaningfully. With the body casting, you're not going to be exposed for long. The rest of the time you're going to be wrapped up like an armadillo. True. Katie scooped a glob of Vaseline with her right hand, dropped the tub on the end table, then smeared goo all over her gloves and brandished them at Adele. Come on, curly twat. Shuck him and get your ass on the tarp. Adele let out a surprised. Eek! 
and hopped back, her hands thrown up in a pose of melodramatic terror. She managed to hold it for almost three seconds before Katie waggled her fingers like a mad scientist, sending Adele past the breaking point into hysterics. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. You win. She kicked off her shoes and whispered between snickers. Just don't tell anyone. She pulled her shirt, flannel, and bra off in a single yank, then did a similar job on her jeans and panties. The missionary stepped onto the tarp and graciously spread her arms. As soon as Adele was in position, a small switch flipped in Katie's mind. She followed her model and started anointing her skin with grease, stopping every few seconds to scoop up one more until she had enough reserve built up on the skin that it would serve for the whole job. Katie laid her palms flat against the model's ribs and started smearing. As she did so, she spared a bit of mental space to speak to the rest of the class. So, the first thing you want to be careful about when you're doing this... Plaster sticks. Jeremiah, behind her, made his first play for the gold star. Isn't that pretty much the point? Pretty much. The model's skin shuddered under Katie's hands. Whew, goodness. It's cold. Off to her right, Katie heard Carol patting Amos on the arm. Amos, be a sweetheart and stoke up the fire. Hmm? Oh, sure. She heard Amos's book being set down on the leather sofa arm and the creaking of the cushion as he rose and crossed her periphery, heading toward the fireplace. Anyhow, you have to make sure that you cover every inch of skin. Plaster is caustic. She held up her gloves to emphasize the point and then went back to work, moving down over the model's hips and coating her navel. So you have to protect your skin and your model skin. The Vaseline keeps it from sticking, keeps it from burning. Make sure you cover everything. Without pausing or hesitating, she brushed down over the pubic hair and met up with the glob she'd placed on the left thigh. She gathered it up and used it to coat her model's genitals and the deep creases where the thighs joined the body. So, what's the first project? Katie turned to Adele. It's your height, senora, which you want all posterity to see. Your ass, your back, your neck. Um, could you recommend something? Well, you've got great tits and a fabulous collarbone and bueno hips. So, I'm thinking a full torso would be good to start with, until you figure out what else you want. What will you use it for? You said you can't cast from it. Katie greased up her model's right armpit and shoulder. Well, I said you can't cast bronze from it, but I could cast plaster and then use a sander to bring the detail back out, as long as I seal it. It's a pretty fragile medium. The ephemerality adds to the charm. Shame on you for using language like that outside an English class. Katie gave her a good-sized, you're-a-dork grimace. As Katie moved around to her model's backside, Amos returned to his spot on the couch and sat down by Carol. Before he could pick up his book again, Carol grabbed his hands and used her grip to collect the rest of him like a bad debt. She gathered him in her arms and laid him back in her lap, stroking his brow in a way that, if he were Katie, would have sent him to sleep in about ten seconds. As Kevin and Jeremiah pelted Katie with a slew of unimportant questions, she worked the side of her model that kept her close enough to eavesdrop on the sofa. Carol, sitting cross-legged and sideways, bent low over Amos. Are you okay, sweetheart? Yeah, just recovering from last night. Are you sure I can't? No, just keep touching my face like that. Watch Adele with me. Let me just bask. I'll be fine. <clears throat> I know I'm a prop here, but is it okay if I move a bit? Katie took her hands off. Absolutely. Get all your stretching done now. There's no bouncing under the bandages. So, after the bust? Do you know what you want? 
I've always wanted a sculpture of the three graces for my living room. Want your time in the sun as a goddess? It suits you. Well, I was thinking maybe you and me and, and Sarah. She trailed off. Katie could see the blush creeping up the back of her neck. We can do that, but we'll have to get these guys trained up in how to cast right. Jeremiah, why don't you come up and join her, and Kevin, you get to work on him. Whatever. Katie pulled Adele a few steps to her left so that she'd still be in eavesdropping position for the Couchley conspirators. Kevin availed himself of the gloves and Vaseline while Jeremiah stripped and took up a spot at the far corner of the tarp, closest to the fire and farthest away from everybody else. Okay, Dojin, we'll do a bust of him, too. Catch up real quick here. Do the Vaseline all over the front and then over the shoulders, too. Then we'll start laying bandages on. Kevin obligingly dipped a handful of muck from the jar and walked up behind Jeremiah. Hey, be careful where you stick that. Trust me, man, you're not my type. Kevin emphasized his point by circling around to the front and smacking two hands full of cold petroleum jelly right into Jeremiah's solar plexus. Katie turned Adele around and worked her left side, keeping an ear on Carol, who continued stroking Amos's brow line. There you go. She led Amos's gaze over to Jeremiah. He's beautiful, too. Only on the outside, and not really even that. He's looking tired, and his skin isn't right. Is something wrong? I don't think he's eating right since his food went bad. I hope he starts. It would be nice to be able to hold a conversation where he wasn't trying to steal. I know. I'm going to talk with Sarah about next year. This year, it's really too late to do anything. You'll be coming back, right? If you knew how much I've needed a place to hide and rest, you wouldn't ask that. Why do you think I invited you? You looked wrecked at Worldcon. Katie patted Adele on the shoulder. Stretch. Adele reached over her head, her vertebrae cracking audibly as she tensed her muscles. Do you get many dates this way? Oh, you wouldn't believe it. It's better than a bar. Katie retrieved her bucket of water from the hearth. The missionary looked askance at her. Seriously? Nah, not really. With some people, it's like shaking hands. With some, it's like being a doctor. With others, it's like making love. Katie left the tarp to grab a box of plaster bandages. Context. All right. Katie looked past Adele to Amos, whose eyes were closed again as he soaked up Carol's touch. She nodded at him. Just like last night. Oh, boy, don't remind me. Amos, you weren't serious, were you? Hmm? About being God. You don't seriously believe it. Of course I do. Amos spoke as if language was the inadequately debugged afterthought of a shoddy creation. You are one crazy motherfucker, you know that? Katie didn't suppose Jeremiah would come out and say, My, what gigantic testicles you have. But his tone carried enough of the subtext that he didn't need to. (laughs) Him? Kevin pushed his hands up each side of Jeremiah's neck. He's a writer, it goes with the job. Carol raised a chiding eyebrow. We're painters are always stable human beings. Hey, I've still got both ears. Could have fooled me. Having something doesn't mean you have to use it. I'm a physicist. Painting's just a hobby. (laughs) I'll be sure to let Edward Teller and Robert Oppenheimer know that they don't have to worry about people thinking they were crazy. Carol returned her attention to Amos, who craned his neck back and fixed her with a disapproving look. Hey now, they were perfectly sane men. We only think they're crazy because we don't worry constantly about what happens if a Russian premier gets drunk and pushes the wrong button while he's trying to call his secretary to get him a hooker. That's right. Kevin finished Jeremiah's front with a painterly flourish along the dancer's arm. It's you artists who are insane. Well, we know that already. 
Katie broke the box open and took a small stack of strips out, setting them next to the bucket. Seriously, there's no money in it. Except for the lucky ones like you. Kevin nodded at Amos. And Carol. The rest of us got to earn a living teaching or doing something else. Jeremiah shrugged. I don't. You will. You're what, 24? 26. Kevin's eyes went wide in mock shock. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm an old man. Sarah already retired once, right? Yeah. Jeremiah raised his arms to give Kevin access to his armpits. She broke her hip a couple years ago being dropped from a lift. Somebody let an ice cube melt on the stage. She was the smart one. Quit while she was behind. Most dancers are used up by 30, if not before. Kevin finished greasing up Jeremiah. See, that's what I mean. There's no money in this. It takes up all our time. None of us here have families. Well, Gert did. We're all quite mad. Especially you guys who try to make a living at it. What's next? I get to travel all around the world. Uh, Hold on for a second, Belle. Take a big stretch. I'm fine. Okay, don't move anymore after... now. Katie laid the first strip of cloth down on Adele's right shoulder blade and smeared it over her shoulder. Okay, Kevin, see here. You lay the first strips, wide and flat, like this, over the shoulder and down past the breasts or pecs. That way everything will hang off of it and we'll add reinforcing strips as we go along. Kevin took a bandage from the box, dipped it in the bucket, and drew it out through his fingers to keep it from sticking to itself. Good fingers. He pressed one end of it to Jeremiah's back and attempted a very reasonable facsimile of what Katie had just shown him. Like this? Not bad. She took his hands and guided him down the edges, showing him how to feel the couple of bubbles that he'd allowed to creep in. Off on the couch, Lord Amos was evidently mildly displeased with the gap in the conversation. Through his eyelids, shut tight once again under Carol's ministrations, he prompted Katie's greased plaster victim. Adele, you were saying... Yes, my work takes me all around the world, to all sorts of places. I I meet the most amazing people. I get to see light in their eyes. I get to see them connect others to people who can help them. I help other missionaries bring meaning and grace to places that don't have any. But you publish pictures with Hergé and Sturgis, and that pushes you away from the people who support you. Carol seemed wistful rather than aloof, as if she were remembering some mischief she'd regretfully outgrown. You're not at home in your church, love. You're not at home anywhere. None of us are. Amos's voice was only a little louder than pillow talk. Something about his voice was hypnotic. Katie shook off the effect and patted the bandage flat on Jeremiah's chest, then nodded to Kevin, who pursed his lips in understanding. He ducked down to get another bandage. See? That's my point. No, that's not the point. Adele started to turn to face him when Katie caught her with another bandage, reminding the missionary that she was supposed to be standing still. She caught herself took a breath, and continued without moving. I have to do it. Taking pictures of miserable children and church planting projects doesn't do anything for my home. I love the West, even if I don't like what it's become. I have to help out somehow. And the way I know how is with my camera. You can find naked pictures anywhere. Amos sounded like Carol had him well and truly hypnotized. How is that helping? Look what kind of pictures they are, though. Porn, sure. Medical pictures, maybe. Americans hate their bodies. They can't cope with them unless they're having sex or making fart jokes or degrading them somehow. Katie laid the underbus truss on Adele, coming in at an angle under her breasts to lift them and lay the bandage across the two shoulder supports so that the resulting cast would have good structural integrity. 
Look what it took to get you up for Katie to work on you. Kevin mimicked Katie's structural truss as he spoke, this time with a good deal more finesse. Adele did the nearest thing to shrugging that she could using just her face. I don't think it's the same thing. But maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? So why do you do it? Kevin returned to the bucket and sluiced another bandage through it. The erotic art. Beauty? God made the world beautiful, and we spend so much time missing it. We breeze by it, all background noise. We don't take time and savor in our bodies. You have to be soul dead to look at a little girl running naked on the beach or building a sandcastle and not have it break your heart for joy. Or a young man with a young woman bursting with life and potential so that all the light in the room seems to come from them. That's God's glow. We all have it. Most of us just don't think about it. Reminding people that's what I can do. And it's the best way I know how to worship, too. And that's why you do it? Mm Mm-hmm. Breaks my heart when people miss it. Or use beauty for advertising. Ick. Short of having children, it's the best way I have to remind the world how beautiful it is. God is below. Please, no children. Carol groaned as if someone had just put Christmas music on the hi-fi. Jeremiah raised an eyebrow. What do you have against kids? Nothing. As long as they're nowhere near me. I love children. Then why not have any? Kevin cocked his head at her as he returned to the bucket for another bandage. Time just got away from me. I didn't have a chance between work and chasing sunsets and models. (sighs) Why do we do it? She obviously didn't expect an answer, and when Amos's voice came, she jumped, a little startled. We're born with it. Four years old, and we can't stop telling stories, or drawing, or dancing, or exploring. And it's easy. It's play. All of life is play. It's easy to do this when you're young. In your teens, you figure out that images and ideas have power. All you can think about is changing the world. He sat up off Carol's lap and leaned forward, resting his elbows on his knees. An intense, almost unpleasant look crossed his face, as if the answer disturbed him more than he expected it to. He looked up at Adele, then shifted his gaze away to the staircase beyond her and talked to it instead. When you're 20, everything is in front of you. You know how it is. You've got all the time in the world. 50 is a long way away. You might not even get there. There's too much to do. 30 takes forever to come until it does. Suddenly, you look around and your 20s are gone. Your friends all have kids, careers, houses. People you know start dying. Your first girlfriend's father keels over from hypertension. Your grandparents start dying from little accidents that shouldn't kill anyone. Maybe you come home one day and you get an email. Your devout uncle tells you that he's at peace with God for the first time in his life because his daughter, only 16, was taken to be with Jesus. She fell asleep at the wheel and shattered her pelvis when the steering column rammed through her stomach. This girl glowed as bright as anyone you'd ever seen, and then a tree got her. All that potential, all her light, a fire that never even got started before it burned out. People like us, 
We spend our lives like candles dodging raindrops. We know how short it all is. It starts to get to you, and you wonder how long you really have. Maybe you're a tech junkie, maybe you're not. Sooner or later, you figure out that it doesn't matter how far medicine goes. No matter how good it gets, you start to realize how much of the future you're not going to be around to see, no matter how long you live. Time seemed to stop in the large room. Kevin's eyes seemed heavy, his hands forgetting that they were resting on Jeremiah's ribs. The dancer looked vaguely horrified, like a man too late to the scene of a train wreck to do anything but watch it burn. Carol watched Amos with an eerie calm, not even a note of concern breaking through her placid mask as she waited to see where it would go. Katie didn't want to listen, but she had no pretext for interrupting him. The word damn had opened up, and the writer couldn't stop the flow. He plunged on. Sooner or later... Everyone realizes it. Someday, there will be no more you. And you'll miss what comes next. That's why we do what we do. Adele's right. Art is worship. It's prayer. It's our way of trying to be... immortal. Like a ruined man bleeding out, Amos's eyes didn't blink as he returned his focus to Adele. The two of them locked eyes, as if silently interrogating one another. When Amos opened his mouth again, he sounded like he was comforting a dying parent. Even someone like you, someone who believes in an afterlife, you still have to do it. We spend our moments running after rainbows, grabbing and savoring every moment there is, but that's not enough. We know it won't last. The memories are never enough to fill the moment. So we choose a more meaningful road, pouring our life out, hoping that somehow by pouring it out into the world, it'll echo. We think that then we'll know we were real. We'll have something to leave behind. It'll affect someone. Somehow, something of us will live on. Katie opened her mouth to speak, only to find out that she was crying. She used her forearms to wipe the tears from her face and cleared her throat before looking up at Amos again. You make it sound so drab. Amos wasn't hiding his tears. His voice was husky and still cut through the air like a monastery bell. It's not. It's brilliant. Like a star against the darkness. It's not all like that. Adele pursed her lips, the closest she could come to shaking her head without disturbing the bandages. Some people can't live but for knowing that someday it will end. Amos shrugged. It doesn't matter. Not for people like us. Even when it's all awful, the fact it is is better than the idea that it might not be someday. There's enough grandeur in the universe to go around, and maybe there is a grand plan somewhere, somehow. But normal people believe in God because they don't want it all to end. That's not enough for people like us. That's why we do what we do. We have to become gods ourselves, mortal or not. Life is brevity. And we can't take it. And that's why you say you are God? Adele might have meant it as another accusation, but her tone was gentle, as if she actually wanted to understand. 
Katie found herself wishing that she understood, too. I am, and so are you. Thou art God, and I am God, and all that grocks is God. We can shape, move, change the whole world. We can make people where there were none, with words. We can walk on other planets, and alone among all the animals that ever walked, we know what life is, and we know that it will end. That makes us gods. Jeremiah shook his head in quiet befuddlement, as if he weren't sure whether to write Amos off as crazy or ask for an acolyte application. You are one arrogant son of a bitch, you know that? Someone, Carol probably, used the remote control to turn the stereo on. A soft, blue saxophone filtered into the room like an echo from another world. For two or three minutes, nobody said anything. Adele shifted her weight to her left foot. Katie cocked her head at her in a question. Starting to get warm. Oh, it's hardening. That's normal. Let me know if it gets uncomfortable. Okay. Adele shifted her gaze, as best she could, back to Amos. So, you lied last night. You don't believe in something bigger than yourself. No. I do. What's that? I believe in people. People like us. Chapter 17 E-5 Afternoon The quiet, sharp, pinging water filled the bathroom with its own peculiar music, just as the two dozen votive candles cast their effusive glow like a cocoon about the bathtub. In the water, Gerd pushed his fingers through a pile of hair he'd made high on Sarah's head. She leaned forward, resting her chin on her knees, showing him her back. He worked her skin with his hands, alternating deep, penetrating strokes with light flutters. He coaxed the tension out of her body while he did what he could to lift the weight of dread from her mind, with yet another story of troubles dealing with Americans who couldn't understand his accent. In this one, he failed gloriously to impress a woman at a casino in Las Vegas a few months after his wife and son died. He hadn't so much put his foot in his mouth as he'd publicly amputated it, sautéed it with mushrooms, and sat down to take it in with a nice Chianti, the woman whose attentions he'd been attempting to win was suitably eloquent. So that's when she said to me, try using that tongue to catch flies, then get back to me. <laughs> you get a lot of shit for that accent, don't you? Her voice was light like spring wine. Gerd found himself suddenly lighter, as if his soul had long declined so far that he no longer knew what it meant to be well, and now, drinking from the grail, he was suddenly healed. And of course, that's what she was for him. I tell you a secret, Bambina Moore. I've been able to speak without it for years now. It's just not as much fun. (laughs) She tittered. Gerd contented himself with glowing in her general direction. 
He pulled a sea sponge from the toiletries rack, dipped it into the water, and scrubbed her back in long strokes from her hips below the water, over her shoulders, and across her collarbone. Hmm, so nice. Gerd whispered again in his native accent. You sound like Emily. You must miss her. I do, and Jacques. I can't imagine. Her voice was fragile again. Gerd leaned forward and kissed her on the neck, making sure she could feel the apples of his cheeks spread in a nostalgic smile. They are all scars. They ache only when it rains. I don't ever want to feel that. Alas, my amour, you will. It cannot be avoided. But the ache is good. It feels like old love, still warm. The pain fades and there are new lights. He slid his hands around her, double-wrapping her under her breasts. She sighed and leaned back into him and turned her head. He kissed her, then trailed his lips up her cheek to her temple, where he kissed her again. You make it all sound wonderful, even when it hurts. If you live enough history and you pay attention, you should start to understand how fast we are transforming. You will see things that I could never dream about. There is never a day without discovery if you pay attention. Sometimes what's out there is worse than what's in here. The bad dreams... Sometimes it is. And sometimes it is as grand as anything in here. The sounds of handheld dryers in the living room seem to swamp up over the edges of the voices, the laughter, and the music. Amos stood in the breakfast nook, looking through the dark window at the snow beyond, impenetrable as the midnight fog on the sea, while his corned beef hash simmered on the stove. He hated to admit it, but he found the blankness comforting. He closed his eyes and relished the solitude. He didn't like it. He didn't even enjoy it. But something about being here... He didn't have time to finish the thought. Carol's scent wafted up to his nostrils as her arms slipped around him. He felt her chin rest on his shoulder, and when he opened his eyes again, he could see her looking at him in the reflection. Is that who she is? The picture on your nightstand? She was your cousin? Yes. I'm sorry, I didn't know. She slipped away again, the reflection showing her heading to the cabinets. Did you mean what you said back there? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get maudlin on you. Words just wouldn't stop coming. That's every writer's dream. She started pulling food out of the cabinets to go with his hash. Amos continued to watch her in the window, wishing she'd go, hoping that she wouldn't. After a few minutes, she looked at his reflection in the glass again, meeting his eyes. They were good words. They don't matter. Words always matter. True words matter even more. Grab me a plate? Amos nodded and headed for the cabinet. I don't want this to end. He didn't even realize he'd said it until it was out. Now it was there. He was in all the way. What? Amos turned the stove off and slid his arms around her. This. I don't want to go back to real life anymore. You can't bring back the dead by stepping back from life, my love. No, that's not what I mean. I mean... I'm ready to make a new one. I'm done with that life. I've seen and done everything I can there. 
It doesn't want me anymore, and I don't really want it. Wherever I go next, I'm not going back there. Maybe you don't have to. You're kidding, right? I saw it in your eyes the first time you told me about your space ride. We love so many of the same people, the same things. We lust for the same futures. I know how much you want to go back up there, and I want to go too, with you, and see that look in your eyes again. I love you, Amos. I want you to stay. She kissed him. Amos felt the tension that had been building since his arrival bleed off through his lips. When she pulled away, he took a deep breath. Here in this icy tomb, he felt truly alive. Well, I guess we have a lot to talk about. Katie got a double nostril full of plaster dust as she peeled the side strips out from around Adele's ribcage. Once she had the wrappings worked slightly loose, she counted... One, two, three. And she and Kevin lifted. Adele wriggled out of the cast, and it slid up and forward until she was free of it. Bearing their mummy skin back to the fireplace, they set it on the hearth. When Katie looked back up at Adele, she saw the missionary leaning back to sit on the couch... Don't! Vaseline! Adele paused, squatting half over the sofa in a somewhat less than dignified position. Here. Katie ducked to the basket at the side of the fireplace and pulled a couple of towels out of the pile. She tossed them to Adele. Put these down and don't touch anything. Goodness, it's hot! Adele caught the towels and laid them down, then shook her limbs out as if she could cool off just by flapping. When that didn't help, she picked one of the towels back up and fanned herself. You'll be fine in a moment. Katie kept herself from giggling as Adele's air conditioning dance got progressively more ridiculous. You just can't sweat with that shit smeared all over you. Says you. Hey, you guys gonna get me out of this fucking thing? Kevin took up his pole position at Jeremiah's left and spoke to Katie. Okay, same thing here, right? Yeah, except you've wrapped it partway around him, so we're gonna have to rock it back and forth a bit. I'll go first. They rocked the edges of the mold back and forth a couple dozen times, walking it up his sides and around the very edges of his body. It was a tight squeeze. The edges of the plaster left welts as they scraped him through the Vaseline. Jeremiah twisted and stepped back past Katie. Damn, that feels weird. He shivered all over. If Katie didn't know better, she'd have thought he'd just French-kissed, or, as Gerd would say, English-kissed, a banana slug. You'll survive. Survival's overrated. He leaned both hands on an arm of the wingback and panted. He was as overheated as Adele, but he seemed to be handling it fairly well. Well, let us know when you're done using up your share of the oxygen. Katie turned her attention to the cast as she and Kevin set it down on the hearth. Are you okay? The concern in Kevin's voice snapped Katie's head up. Adele's face was a grotesque grimace, twitching against what looked like waves of pain. Yes, I'll be fine. It's just arthritis. She whipped her towel into a rope and used it as a bar to stretch her back muscles. Katie winced. Adele, you should have told me. I didn't want you to think I was wimping out. Off to her right, Jeremiah started pacing back and forth, holding his head. Heat headache? Kevin brushed past Katie and headed for the box with the towels. Okay, that's it. Excuse me? 
An unacceptable level of torsion is propagating throughout your skeletal system. He emerged from the box with a stack of three towels. Adele winked at him. Physicist. <laughs> Kevin deployed the towels on the carpet behind the long couch. Come on, lay down. I'll work the kinks out. Adele made as if to step around the couch, then looked down at her body. She stretched out one arm, then another, looking up and down the length of them as if they were rotting on her bones. Ick. I have to get this stuff off of me. Give me a few minutes. Sure. Kevin winked back as Adele grabbed her towel and bounded up the stairs. The bathroom door burst inward, shattering the quiet camaraderie. Gerd leaned back and deigned to direct his eyes toward the intruder. His irritation evaporated when he saw the blush creeping up Adele from her toes. Oh, um, excuse me, I... She staggered backwards and bumped into the half-open door. Ow. <laughs> Don't worry, your family. What do you need? A rinse? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm better. She leaned back against him and nuzzled his chest. This boy's cuddles are good for the soul. We'll be done here in a minute. No, no, I, I don't want to interrupt. I just... Adele lifted her arms and looked down at her body, which seemed to be covered in grease and white powder. Ugh. Carol's room has a shower. You could rinse there, Nespa. Adele smiled at him like he'd just given her the solution to all her tax problems. Thanks. She backed out of the room and closed the door gingerly behind her. Being in the bath with Sarah, Gerd didn't see Jeremiah mount the stairs and make a beeline for his room. Adele, heading down the hall to Carol's room, didn't see it either. If the house could have seen, it would have seen Jeremiah burst into his room and rifle madly through one of his drawers, slam it shut, and rifle through another until he found the bottle he was looking for. They would have seen him sigh with relief at the sight of it. If it could have heard, it might have heard the choking sounds coming from his room. It might have felt him, half an hour later, moving through the upper floor like a fetid breeze and finding his way into Sarah's ruined room. It might have played an ominous chord progression as he stood, his eyes wide and watering, his mouth slack and drooling, transfixed, convinced he saw movement in the slushy snow spilling through the shattered window. His eyes tracked left, then right again, as if watching the swinging of a slow, icy metronome. Sweat leaked everywhere from his skin, forcing the Vaseline to rise up and float like a second, inflatable bag that kept his insides from touching the air. Perhaps the house was vaguely aware of him as he stumbled haltingly toward the window, reached out his hands, and dug. It might have seen the light that, as far as Jeremiah was concerned, bathed his face like heavenly glory. It might have smelt the tang of blood as he chewed incessantly at his bottom lip, opening it along the chap lines like an overripe peach hitting the ground from a great height. If it had noticed these things, it surely would also have noted the color of the light. Green, like the glow from the pipe in the garage, and the dazzled, aching, peaceful look that bore across Jeremiah's face as he whispered words like, springtime hills and the color of life with inchoate lips the house might have beheld this curious scene or its aftermath 
As the epiphany darkened Jeremiah's vision and he closed his eyes in prayer as if he knew for certain that there was nothing in the world he needed to fear ever again. It might have seen the ecstasy on his face as he went to bed that night and dreamed of being bathed in the light. The house might have seen and heard and felt it all, except, of course, that it was just an ordinary structure buried in a snowdrift on a mountainside of California's high country, its only life given it by a troop of cloistered humans attempting to enjoy their retreat while they waited for a rescue. That was all it was, so far as anyone knew. You've been listening to episode 17 of Down From 10. Written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. With original music by Danny Shade, used with permission. Starring T. Morris as Amos Maple. Philippa Ballantyne as Carol Lewis. Nathan Lowell as Gerd Falkstein. Miss Callender as Sarah Evans. Kitty Nakian as Katie Sato. Nobilis Reed as Kevin Walden. Chris Lester as Jeremiah Evans. And Christiana Ellis as Adele Surhan. Additional music by Lead Belly, performed by Nick Gravenitis and the Fish Band. Sounds courtesy freesound.org and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2009, J. Daniel Sawyer, based on a screenplay copyright 2008, J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009, Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. For Agent Cyrus, the world's first cyborg, the mission should have been simple. You deploy, secure the hotel, take him into custody, and extract. But when a routine snatch and grab goes wrong... Confirmed! Hostile jumped nine stories and is fleeing. Do not engage Hostile. I repeat... Do not engage. Cyrus finds herself at the center of a conspiracy that threatens the very foundation of her existence. Your critical biological systems are dependent on the implants. If they die, either from the virus or your own immune system rejecting them, my biological systems won't be able to function. Now, with time running against her, Cyrus finds herself in the crosshairs of a conspiracy set to destroy her. You think that because you have his name, you've cracked this case? You haven't scratched the surface. Even if you dig, you won't live long enough to see it through. You have no idea where this goes. Cybrosis, the debut podcast novel by P.C. Herring. Coming to you on 010110 from www.cybrosisnovel.com. This is Miss Calendar from the Brass Needles Podcast, and you're listening to Down From Ten. What did Jeremiah see, and what is he going to do about it? Or is it only a hallucination? And now it's been more than five days. When are the snowplows coming? Are they coming at all? Uh, I've had problems releasing this episode, but not production problems, um, timing problems. This episode deals a lot with death and grief at a time when several of our cast members are losing or have lost people close to them. 
I'm only going to talk about one of them here, mostly to protect the privacy of the others in the cast, but also because the one I'm going to talk about is making huge waves in the community. The father of the podcast novel, T. Morris, lost his wife to the flu a few days ago. Odd as it sounds, a lot of people die from the flu every year, and it uh, hit pretty close to home this time. There are three things in the modern world that are more expensive than anything else. Uh, being born, dying, and death. Natalie Morris's death was sudden and unexpected, but it left T with a raft of expenses he has to meet immediately, as well as uh, being suddenly and unexpectedly a single parent of a five-year-old girl. Because of this, I have a special request for you. If you were planning on sending me a tip in the next week or three, um, send it to T instead. You can find a donation widget in the right column at theboomeffect.org. The Boom Effect is a site named in honor of T's daughter, Sonic Boom. Philippa Ballantyne set the site up to host a charity auction on behalf of Sonic Boom. We're building a trust fund for her college and other future expenses as a cushion for her. Over the next couple of weeks, more auction lots will post all kinds of stuff donated by folks throughout the potosphere are going up for auction, with 100% of the proceeds going to Sonic Boom's trust fund. Details on the auction dates and everything else are there also at theboomeffect.org. On to happier news. We have reached our minimum threshold for predestination poster orders, and we're now shopping for a print shop to print them for us. Updates in the weeks to come on when you can expect your posters. We've got a really good feedback show in the can that's now in the queue to edit, and next week I will be announcing a new Down From Ten contest to kick us into the tail end of the story as everything draws to a head. Thanks for sticking with me through the long Christmas hiatus. It will definitely be worth your while. Send feedback to feedback at jdsawyer.net. Leave voicemail at 206-337-5498. That's a new voicemail number, as you can tell. And leave comments on the blog at www.jdsawyer.net. And, of course, if you're enjoying yourself, please do tell your friends, post a review on iTunes, and blog about us. Questions, comments, criticisms, attaboys, and death threats are all welcome. This is the part where I would normally ask you the nagging questions, but I don't really have it in me today. So remember that life is short and precious, and that you can make the whole world end if you but count down from ten. <laughs>